You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Thank you, Barry. That's right. Uh, Rob, last week, uh, right after uh, right after uh, church, I was um, Kathy had written me and said I need a lawyer, and so as soon as we were through here teaching, I got the name of a lawyer from one of our members and sent it on to her because we thought he was not going to make it, but it, he's on the. He's on the thing. This is a romper room. You remember that? I see Rob is out there. So Rob is watching, for which we're thankful for. We were praying intensely for him. Last week, Rich Bartoleski has come down with it, and um, um, Scott Watson, who is, uh, we need to keep in prayer because uh, he's going for some treatments. He has come down with it. So we've got a lot of folks that we just need to pray for. And uh, remember in prayer. And we sent a whole van load. I know that uh, Patrick is in here somewhere, isn't he? We sent a whole van load up to, what's the name of that place? Fulton? Fulton, First Baptist up there of things that y'all brought in. And um, about $2,000 worth of um, cards to be given out. So thank you all for doing that. That got up there today. Patrick got that up that way. Now, you got your copy of God's Word? Um, chapter 39 of Genesis. We, we left Joseph in a pretty good place. In all honesty, he's, uh, he's doing really well. He has uh, become the overseer of everything for a guy that we would say uh, was a part of the president's cabinet. Somebody like the Secretary of State or the Secretary of Defense or something like that. Potiphar had a very important position in the government. He was very close uh, to uh, the Pharaoh, and he was a man of means. He was a man of great land and uh, great wealth. And uh, Joseph now is in charge of all of it, he's running everything. They've, he's turned everything over to him. And so when we left Joseph, everything really was going well. For the, about the first time since all the tragedy struck in his life, everything is going pretty well for him. In fact, the Word of God says in verse 2 that he was a successful man. It's interesting that it would describe him that way. And last week, I gave you a little insight into that word. It's not what we normally think of success but the concept is, is that you have the ability to handle whatever is placed in front of you. Whatever is put in front of you, you're able to handle it. Whatever comes up, you're able to tackle it and have, we would say, success over it. So that's more the concept than just money. All the money that was coming in was going to Potiphar. It was not coming to Joseph but Joseph was the guy who was making it all happen. In fact, if you would have asked Potiphar, Potiphar, what did you buy that day down at the auction block? Potiphar would tell you, I got the goose that laid the golden egg. In fact, it's kind of interesting the way the text says it. In verse 3, it says, his master saw that the Lord was with him. Now, the, one of the last things I left you with last Wednesday night 
was that it is obvious that Joseph had shared with him about the Lord, had shared with him about his God, had shared with him something about his relationship to him. And here we're told that Potiphar looks and he can see that Joseph's God has got his hand on his life. Now, of all the things that he prospered, you think of all the hurdles that Joseph had to overcome. He had to overcome this culture, whole new culture. He had to overcome the racial differences. And there's some racial issues that are implied in this text that we'll look at tonight. I don't know if I'll remember to say anything about it. But uh, he had to come over this, get over this racial barrier that was there. He had to get over uh, the language barrier, a whole new language, a whole new monetary system that he had to learn. I believe that he was taking care not only of the land that Potiphar had and the house and all the servants. I think this guy was in charge when it says that he put him over everything. I think he was even balancing his checkbook, his balance sheets. He was in control of the finances and where the finances would go, what stocks you would buy, what bonds you would get. Would you be in bonds or would you get in stock? What would you do? I think he was, I think he was doing all of that, every bit of that. And uh, I think Potiphar had turned it all over to him. So he's got to come up. He's got to learn how do these Egyptians trade? How do these Egyptians handle business? And so here, here's a guy, he's got to dress like an Egyptian. He's got to talk like an Egyptian. He's got to walk like an Egyptian. So there you go. Do I have a picture of Joseph? There we go, right there. There he is, that's Joseph. That was one of the rare photographs taken in those days. But that's the photograph we got of Joseph today. Anyway, there he is. So all of this success has come his way. And now in the midst of success, let me tell you something. It seems that success is the best soil in which temptation grows. For some reason, when success comes along, temptation comes along with it as well. Um, You've got a couple of really good pictures of that in the Old Testament. Here are people who become successful, and when they do, they all of a sudden, for some reason, at that level, when it happens, they always think the rules really don't apply to me. I can do, I don't have to follow the rules. I don't have to follow all the things that everybody else has to follow. In fact, there was a, I, I don't, mean to be political, but there was I just, the headlines today was one government official basically, basically said that. Uh, I can't follow the same rules that everybody else has to follow. Well, that's exactly what happens when success comes. Uh, people begin to think that. Look at Saul. Saul was head and shoulders taller than anybody else uh, in Israel. He was handsome. He was, um, had natural ability and natural gifting. And when Samuel goes and anoints him, what does he do? He ends up in the midst of the prophets prophesying. That's Saul. That's the king of Israel now. But the first time that he goes out to battle, what does he do? He usurps the place of a priest. 
And he does what God has expressly said you cannot do because of his success. He thought these rules don't apply to me. Now, Joseph could have thought that. Joseph could have thought that in all of this success that he's having. Uh, He could have said these things don't apply to me. I don't have to live by these rules. I've experienced so much hurt and I've experienced so much unfairness that I deserve whatever And I don't have to follow the rules, but Joseph nowhere does that. Nowhere does he fall into that trap. But let me show you now, out of all of this success in these first six verses, I want you to go to the very last statement at the end of verse 6, because the Holy Spirit is setting you up for what is going to happen. The Holy Spirit is letting you in on something uh, and uh, you read this and you know, oh no, as good as this sounds, something bad's going to happen here. So the end of verse 6 basically says this, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Do you know that's said of only four people in the Old Testament? It's said of, uh, of four people, but only four people. It was said of Joseph, it was said of Saul, it was said of David, was said of Absalom. Isn't that interesting? Joseph and David would be on one side. Saul and and Absalom would be on the other side. But it's interesting that the Old Testament says that about those four men right there. Now, what that does is this. It lets me know something is about to happen. Joseph is going to face temptation because somebody is tempted. By Joseph. Now, when you cannot control your circumstances, you can control your response. You need to keep that in mind through this whole ugly story. When when you cannot control the circumstances that you're caught in, you can control how you're going to respond to it all. And so I want to begin, I'm just going to show you two things tonight with about 36 subpoints. But I'm going to show you two things tonight. The first thing that I want you to see is this. I want you to look at the satanic setup for temptation. You've got it stated right there. It's going to come about in the very next verse. The end of verse 6, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Now here it comes. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked. That means she lifted up her eyes, literally is what the Hebrew says. She's looking at him. He's appealing to her. Um, he is. Uh, she finds him tempting. And so she is going to put a temptation on him. He is going to face temptation because she finds him tempting. He's handsome. He has a great build. He's in charge of everything. He's successful. Uh, He's making all of these decisions. Potiphar's not doing anything. Um, In fact, let me show you something that really just grabs my attention. And I'm going to tell you why I think it does. Go to verse 2 and look at this. Toward the end of the verse, it speaks of Joseph being in the house. He's in the house. All right? You come to verse 4, 
And in the middle of verse 4, it says he is over his house. You come to verse 5, and verse 5 says he is overseer in his house, the Egyptian's house. He is in the house. Now, what you get there is one, two, three, four, five, five times in one, two, three, four, four verses, it is stated he is in the house. Joseph, he's in the house, he's in the house, he's in the house, he's in the house, he's in the house. Doesn't that jump off the page at you? Now, look, we're not on, well, I guess we are on that thing. Um, but, you know, Wednesday nights, I can talk to you. Does that not just jump off the page at you? It does to me. Five times for it to be said that he's in the house, that he's overseer in the house, that he's over the house, that he's in the house again. I want to, where's Potiphar in all of this? Where's he? If you look down at verse 6, it says, So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him there was, there was nothing that he concerned himself with except his next meal. Now, I want to tell you, like most men who become fairly successful, I would imagine that Potiphar has found Joseph to be a man of honesty and integrity, and he knows down in his heart, I'm going to leave everything with him. I can put everything I've got in this guy's hand. He's trustworthy. He's honest. He is a religious young man, and uh, he's got some integrity in his life. And I'm going off, and I'm going to pour myself into the court of Pharaoh. I'm going to go there, and I'm going to make all the connections I can make. So he's wrapped up with his work. He may be wrapped up with sports. I have no idea. He may be wrapped up with the guys. You know, guys love to get with the guys. He may be wrapped up with that. But the reason why this constantly says here that Joseph is in the house leads me to believe Potiphar ain't. He's not there. He's gone, and because he's gone, his wife finds his inattentiveness to be basically an indifference toward her personally. This inattentiveness of a husband is often interpreted by a wife to be indifference. Now, I didn't plan this tonight. Because Sunday morning, I'm preaching 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And I need to get through verse 6 this coming. And I have started that sermon now the fourth time. Um, because the first verse of, of 1 Peter chapter 3 talks, it starts out by saying, Wives, submit yourself to your husbands. And that's not popular and people don't like it. But I'm going to preach it because it's in the Word of God. What you going to do with it? Just kind of ignore it and say, oop, I don't know what to do with that. I'm going to go over it. Well, I'm not going to do that. And I didn't intend to come and preach on sex tonight, but this is where it's going to end up. This is not going to end up in a real good place for Joseph. Um, and I don't, I'm struggling a little bit with handling this tonight, and I'm a little bit with handling what's coming up Sunday but the fact of the matter is this man was not doing, the best way I know how to put it is, he wasn't home doing his homework. 
And because of that, his wife now has a damaged self-image. And she, she has really a self-worth issue, a low self-esteem. She doesn't feel attractive, and she doesn't feel as if her husband is attracted or finds her attractive anymore. Now, I want to tell you, I've pastored for 42 years. Uh, that's about as long as we've been. When we got married, I started pastoring, uh, which is about right. And um, I can't tell you the numbers of times we've sat in counseling together because I don't counsel a woman by herself. I always have my wife there. And uh, we've sat in, I, I, I can just pick out scores uh, out of that pop up in my head. Uh, we had a very attractive young lady, very smart young lady that came in one day to see us. And uh, she sat down, and that's exactly what she said. My husband never pays any attention to me. He's not there. This young lady, very attractive lady in the church. Uh, her dad and mom were our good friends uh, through the years. And this young lady said, I found myself dressing up and just going to the mall and walking around the mall to see if a man would even look at me. That's not a good place to be in a marriage. And that's exactly where this woman is. She's got a husband who is not there. He's indifferent to her. He's inattentive to her. She has all of these emotional needs. And here's Joseph in the house, in the house, in the house, in the house. I'm sure he's kind to her. I'm sure that he's respectful to her. I am sure that he takes care of whatever comes up in the house that she wants him to take care of. And because of that, he is meeting an emotional need in her life. Now, let's go to verse 7 and let me start with the temptation. Here it is, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance and he came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and she said, just come to bed with me. In some kind of way, she was trying to seduce him, she was trying to tempt him, she was trying to get him into a relationship with her. Now I'm going to give you four things that I think are important when it comes to sexual temptation. This is not replete, but it's four things that you can write down that I think uh, will give you some insight into sexual temptation. Number one, it almost always comes unexpected. Now, I am certain, I've thought about this a lot, I am certain that there are ladies sitting out there and you are thinking, well, he's a man. Sure, he, he's not thinking. <laughs> uh, he doesn't expect this. Well, let me tell you, men are a lot more perceptive than you think, and men are more perceptive than they let on to be. Now, I don't know if Joseph could tell this prior to this moment, but I get the impression that this was very unexpected. It was not something that he was anticipating. Sexual sins generally come that way. They just pop up. They're, they're really unexpected. The thing is this, he is going to immediately put that down. He is immediately going to refuse it. That's going to come in verse 8 
I don't want to get there quite yet. But when he puts it down, it lets you know Joseph at some point in his life has already thought through the whole process. How will I respond if somebody puts a move on me? Let me tell you when not to decide that. When you're off in a hotel and you're walking through the lobby of a hotel and you pass a bar and a lady reaches out and taps you as you're on your way to your room and says, hey, why don't you sit down and have a drink with us? That is not the time to start going through systematic theology. You'd better already have a line drawn in the sand before that happens. Uh, the time to make a decision like that is sometime like now. You're late at the office after hours, everybody's gone, but then in walks that one person that has caught your eye and you've caught her eye or vice versa. I'm a man, so I always look at it from that perspective. But let me tell you something, the time to diffuse something like that is not in that moment. Joseph obviously was an extremely sharp young man, very dedicated to the Lord, and he had already in his mind determined how he would respond to a sexual temptation. So they come unexpected, and you better be prepared, even though they may be unexpected. Number two, it was unrelenting. We don't know how long this went on, but I am convinced it went on for a period of time. Verse 10 says, she spoke to Joseph day after day. Day after day, but he did not listen to her. You see, he had already made his mind up. A decision was already made there, but it went on. And it went on, and it wasn't just occasionally, it was daily. And let me tell you something, for an 18 or 19 or 20-year-old young man, that must be unbelievable pressure. That must be something that is almost unbearable. And beyond that, he's been rejected by his family. He's off in a strange place where nobody knows him. He could rationalize in his mind, well, listen, I deserve some kind of emotional warmth in my life, and nobody here, by the way, knows me, and I am hungry for some kind of attention from somebody. And so here she comes day after day after day. I can just imagine that Miss Potiphar was always standing right around the corner somewhere. I can just imagine that every day, whenever Joseph showed up in a room. Miss Potiphar just happened to be in the room where he shows up. She is always showing up wherever he happens to go. And uh, there she is constantly walking by, whispering a little something, saying a little something, doing some little something. Time never makes that temptation go away. I can tell you, time exacerbates it. Time intensifies it. Time will... It will take, time will take passion and will push it to its limits. And so day after day, he has to fight this. And what do you do? I remember another occasion. Now, these were folks, they're not in this state. Um, Some of these people aren't even in the country anymore. But I remember one occasion, Deb and I were sitting in the office, and I had a couple in there. She was in tears. He was explaining to me that he had had no affair as of yet, 
But there was a woman that was pursuing him at, at, at work. And he said, I just know what to do. And she's crying over here. And he says, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, that's a simple that's a simple thing. You've not done anything. No, we've not done anything. I've not been unfaithful. I've not broken my marriage vows. And I said, well, the simple thing is this. Quit your job. Go into Mar. Go to your boss. Tell him you can't even give him a two weeks notice. Explain to him why and then leave. And the man looks at me and look at, listen to what he said. He looks at me, but what about my salary? What about my career? What about my job? And my, what's my response? What about your wife? What about your marriage? Because let me tell you what you just told her. My salary's more important than my marriage. My career's more important than my... I said, you've just told her that. When the solution is very simple. Get out. Leave. Run. If you got to go to another town, go to another town. Go to another city. But get away from that. So, there it is. It's relentless. Number three, it's secretive. Now, can't you just hear Miss Potter lean over and whisper in Joseph's ear, nobody will ever know. The old coot isn't around the house anymore anyway. He's gone every day. He's off with this. He's off with that. He's off with something else and so he's not here, and nobody will ever have to know. Now, let me ask you something. Do you know what the test of true character is? The test of true character is what will you do if you know you will not get caught? If I know for certain I can do this, if I know for certain uh, I will never be seen, never be known, never be caught, it will, it will go nowhere Character is what you do in a situation like that. Nobody will ever know this. Nobody will ever find this out. Here is Joseph, and let me tell you something. Joseph is a young man of character. Do you know what he says to her eventually? And I'm going to get there in a few minutes. You know what he says to her? God will know. Because let me tell you something. God sees it all. He sees it all. He hears it all. He knows it all. Number four it is subtle. All sexual sins are subtle in that they really appeal more to an emotional need. I don't know that I've ever counseled somebody that has been in sexual sin that it was really the physical aspect. Usually with a woman, it deals with her self-worth, her self-esteem, Usually with a man, it is a longing for admiration. You say, well, I'm not so sure about that. Well, you may be right, but I'm up here preaching. So um, it's usually two ships that pass in the night, and in the night there's an emotional string that is pulled, an emotional need that is looking to be fulfilled. So it's subtle, uh, very subtle. Let me give you the second thing now, and the second thing is rejection. I'm still under that first point. But this, it, this is the second subpoint, and it's the rejection that comes. Joseph is going to refuse her advances. Let me pick it up in verse 8. But he refused. Now, by the way, here's a good place to quote Shakespeare. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. 
He refused, and she said to his master, be, uh, and she said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all things he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Now, I don't know if you picked it up, but I started counting them this afternoon, the personal pronouns in those two verses. Just look at this. He refused and said to his master, Behold, with me here, my master, that's two, doesn't concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all things he owns in my charge. Three times in that one verse, personal pronoun. You come in verse 9, and he's going to do the same thing. I, me, I. Three times he uses that personal pronoun. Do you know what that tells me? It tells me this. This kid has some character. He is conscious of, him, of his own self. He, he is conscious of the fact that he's in charge, that he's responsible, and that he must take charge of his own desires, his own life. All of that, I've got to do it. I'm in charge. He's put me here. This is my responsibility. I want to tell you, people don't do that anymore. Six times in two verses, he uses that, that personal pronoun. And what he's doing there is he's telling you is that at the heart of who I am, I've got character. I've got to, I've got to take charge of this situation. Let me take you over to... Um, well, no, I'll take you over there in a minute. I don't want to do it right now. But just think about that. There he is. He's this young man with character. The second thing is conviction. That last sentence of verse 9 is nothing but pure conviction. It's all conviction about, I can't do this and sin against God. Now let me do it. Let me take you over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I want you to listen to what Paul says there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul's going to come and he's talking about the Christian and, and sexuality. And he begins in verse 3 and he says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Okay, I want to know what God's will is. God's will is, is that you undergo the process of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus Christ. Becoming holy, like we talked about Sunday. This is the will of, of God, your sanctification, that is, you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel, that's his own body, in sanctification and honor. Not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and also solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. He says, when you set this aside and you go into immorality, whatever type of immorality you want to come up with, when you set the word aside that Paul just spoke right there, and he says you go off into some kind of immoral behavior, he says you're not setting aside the word of God. He said you are setting aside God. 
Now, that's tough. I know. That's hard. I told you. Y'all all think it's fun to be a preacher, don't you? Well, let me just move on to point number two. And it's this, consequences. There are going to be consequences that come out of this that are very ugly. And we're going to think this isn't fair. But listen to me right here. Consequences are not always God's final word. Now, we tend to think they are. We tend to think that, you know, whatever happened, well, that's God's final word on that, and it's not really fair. Well, let me just walk through this, and I'll talk about that at the end. Well, here he is. He rejects. He refused. And let me pick it up in verse 11. And it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work. And none of the men of the household was there inside. She caught him. She planned it. Everybody's out. They're there alone. She caught him by his garment, and she said, lie with me. And he left his garment. He never spoke a word. He never said, he didn't enter into dialogue. He didn't go into conversation. He didn't start explaining anything. He just leaves. He fled, which leads me to believe he ran. He left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. Now, there is some reason, and I'm not exactly sure, other than I think it is for it is for, I'm gonna be honest with you, I almost think it's a little humorous that the Holy Spirit did it, did this. He's gonna say that twice. I think what the Holy Spirit is saying is this woman was stunned. She couldn't believe it. When he ran out and left his coat in her hand. Verse 12, verse 13, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside. I just look at Scripture that way, and I want to know, why do you say that twice? Other than I think it's expressing the emotion of shock. She couldn't believe it. I think this woman probably was a looker. I imagine she was a good-looking woman. And I imagine that uh, she'd kept herself in shape. And I imagine that she was desired by a lot of people. And I think she is absolutely speechless that this guy won't have a relationship with her. She'd probably never been turned down before. And I don't think this was the first time this ever happened with Miss Potiphar. Well, it says when she saw that he left the garment in her hand and fled outside, she is going to scream bloody murder. Now, she's not screaming out of anything other than absolute frustration. She is screaming out of anger. She is screaming out of frustration. And she is furious that this guy would not acquiesce to her, that she could not conquer him. Um, but he runs. Now, here's the, interesting here's the interesting thing. There are a lot of people that say Joseph was wrong to run. Why would you run and leave your coat there? Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you turn around and snatch it out of her old nasty hands? You know, Why wouldn't you stay and say, scream your head off, call them all in here, and I'm going to tell them what really happened? Now, there are guys who actually have argued that for Joseph to run, he was really out of line in running. 
Um, Craig Childs. I don't know if you've ever seen or read anything by Craig Childs, but Craig Childs is a naturalist who goes out and he, you know, he's one of these guys that follows bears around and that kind of thing. Well, he was out in Arkansas up in the Blue Ridge Wilderness. No, Arizona, I'm sorry. In the Blue Ridge Wilderness of Arizona hunting mountain lions. Now, from what I read, a mountain lion is the number one predatory animal in North America. Is that right, guys? Do y'all know that? I would have thought a grizzly bear. But it is a mountain lion. And he was out looking for one of these things. He saw one downstream. It was drinking. The wind was blowing up his direction, so the Mountain lion had not detected that he was there, and he just watched him. The lion finished drinking. He went back into a patch of juniper trees. Well, Craig Childs waits for a while, and then he goes down there because he's going to take pictures, and he wants to look at the paw prints and all that kind of stuff. So while he's down there, bending over, looking, he looks up into the juniper trees, and he sees a pair of eyes in the shadows looking at him. Now, a mountain lion will attack anything that's up to about eight times bigger than it is. It's bad. And it will attack them from the back and will grab them at the top of the neck because the respiratory nerves are right there and the nerves of mobility are right there and it will, it will render anything immobile when it chomps down on it. So he knew this, I can't stop staring at this thing. I can't turn, I can't run. If I run, I'm a dead man. So he reached down, he pulled his hunting knife out, and he just said, I sat there and I just stared at this thing. And he said, it started to move around to my left to go behind me, and he said, I just followed it as far as I could. He said, I just kept staring at it. And he said, it would begin to move back the other way, and then he said, it would jump at me in order to get me to turn and run. But he said, I could not run because if I ran, I knew I was dead. So I simply stared at it all the way until it came back the other direction. And he said, after a little while, it just simply turned and walked away. And Craig Child said, the only thing I had beside a knife, he said, the one thing that I really had that worked was a stare. To stare at it until it went away. That won't work with sexual sins. I'm just telling you, it won't work. You need to hear what the New Testament says. And the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says, flee immorality. 2 Timothy 2, 22, as the older Paul, now about to die, writes to the young buck at Ephesus, Timothy, the young preacher there, he says, Timothy, flee Youthful lust. The best thing you can have when it comes to sexual temptation is a good pair of tennis shoes. Seriously, run. You say, but Ephesians says, put on the whole armor of God and stand firm. Paul says, when it comes to sexual sin, you run. You leave. You go. And what Joseph did was exactly the right thing. He turned and he ran. Now listen, I've got 36 seconds left and the best is yet to come. No. Um, so let me just kind of hurry. Let me just run you through the rest of this quickly right here. She called, verse 14, to the men of the house. Now that interests me as well. 
Because I would imagine that if I interviewed women who had been raped, the last thing they would want to do is to call a bunch of men in there. You got to think, listen, when you pick up God's word, you need to think. Think about what you're reading. I think she called the men in there because she was comfortable with those men, if you get my drift. She called the men of her house and she said to them, see, now watch. Here is the seething anger in this woman's heart. She's talking here about her husband and she won't even call him by his name. She says, see, he has brought in a Hebrew to make sport of us. Now she's drawing attention to the fact that he's of a different race. Can you believe my husband would bring this other raced man into the house? There's a lot of places I could go with that, but let me tell you, that's exactly what she's doing. She's playing the race card right there on that. He has brought in a Hebrew to make sport of us, he, now she's talking about Joseph. She will not call either one of them by their name. She's furious with both these men. He came in to me to lie with me and I screamed. When he heard, I raised my voice and screamed. He left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until his master, she won't even call him until his, her husband came home, but she calls him his master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words, the Hebrew slave whom you brought to us. You see that? She's a piece of work now, I'm telling you. He came in to me to make sport of me, and as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Now she has not moved the entire day. She stayed right there in that place with that garment right there at her side so that when her husband came in, she could essentially say, this is all your fault. You've done this. And she was furious. And what she's furious about is that he's just not been attentive to her. Well, his master, verse 19, heard the words of his wife, which she spoke. Now, I'm giving you some supposition here. I don't have any, any way to prove this other than... Um, when you're in class, you always want to know what the teacher thinks. So I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking at this point. Now, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him saying, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. But I'm not told who his anger burned against. This is not the first time this has happened. Just take that from a pastor. Of 40 some odd years, I can tell you, this ain't the first time this has happened. I'm not told who his anger burned against. I almost wonder if his anger is not at her because over here I go back, his master saw that the Lord was with him. I think Potiphar stood there, and by the way, you don't ever read Potiphar's name again. I think. Potiphar stood there and he was fuming, knowing she has trapped me. I've got to do something to him. What would they normally do in a situation like that? Kill him. Now listen, I'm not saying this to be funny. If it were me, y'all be coming to see your pastor in jail tomorrow. Because I'd have shot somebody. 
Why didn't Potiphar just kill him? He's the, he is head over all executions. I think he knows that this boy is innocent. And you say, when a preacher, let, let, me, let me just get to this. Listen, the people of God are not always treated fair. Moses followed God's word. And the whole stinking nation turned on him over and over and over again. Jesus followed exactly the word of the Father. Everything that I see the Father doing, I am doing, Jesus said. And what did they do? They take him out to a hill and they crucify him. Paul, I am being faithful to the vision that was given to me. And they beat him with rods and they stone him and leave him for dead, and they throw him in prison over and over again. Joseph, do you notice in all of this, and we'll pick it up here next week, do you notice in all of this, Joseph never overreacts or reacts out of anger? He would have had, we would have given him a pass. We would have said, hey, I would throw a fit, Joseph. He never does. You know why? Because you may not be able to control the circumstances around you, but you are responsible for how you respond. And he responds even then in a godly way. Remember, folks, remember, you say, but this is so unfair. It is. He's going to be thrown into a pit. That's the word prison there. In the Hebrew, if you go look it up, it's a pit. It's a dungeon. Um, He's thrown into a dungeon. He's left there for years. And you say, it's just so unfair. All I can say is this, and I've said it to you before. God doesn't settle his books at the end of every day. That's good. Y'all okay? That's a tough passage. That's just tough. And we'll just leave Joseph right there. Potiphar's mad. She's mad. And Joseph's standing. And he's responding in the right way. Any questions? Certainly not. Father, um, I believe your word is your word. That it's inerrant. That it's infallible. I believe it down to the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet, I believe that the verb tenses are even inspired. And I thank you for it. And I thank you for tough passages like this when we walk away and we think, Lord, that's not fair. And yet, Father, you are a God who is still working in Joseph's life. And you've got him right there where you want him where when you promote him, it will attract the attention of the next 4,000 years of human history. Thank you for it. Thank you for answering our prayers. Thank you that Rob is better. We pray, for Lord, for all of these who are facing sickness and illness right now. We thank you, Father, for your watch care over all of us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.